Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. All right. Today, my guest is Jason Spears. Jason is the founder of Locust Cider and Brewing. Uh, welcome. Thanks for showing up and tell us. Well, how do I just put you on the spot? Locust sure. Cider. There's a story. There has to be. What's the story for the name? Uh, all that. right, man. So we're going to start heavy. Yeah, we're going, <laughs> we're going right, to we're start heavy. No warning. <laughs> all right. So uh, I have like five different versions of uh, the story at different lengths and depths of detail okay. for the audience. So I'm, I'm going to just start and I'm going to try to keep it from being dark. But it is a little dark, but it's positive. Um, okay. So when I was... Uh, when I was like 13 years old, 13 or 14, something like that. I always forget exactly. I grew up in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, and, uh, well, I, I should say stepping back, you know, when you name a company, it, it, yeah. a lot of people naming a company goes through all sorts of different processes. Some people hire a company to do it. Some people sit around a marketing table and, and talk about their target customer. Um, so many different ways. But for me, at least when I started this company, this was just, this was something that I was excited about and passionate about. And I frankly didn't see it growing to where it is today necessarily. And, and I thought, I just want to make, I want it to be something that's personal and meaningful to me and has an anchor point for somewhere down the road. So I don't forget why I started the company. So, so I thought back to what, what meaningful moments were there in my life? Um, what makes me who I am? Who, what do I care about? And, um, and so I, I always, I've always gone back to this moment in my life. I was 13 or 14 years old growing up in Texas. It's the heat of the summer. Um, school is out. It's like a hundred degrees, 95% humidity. And, uh, my brother and I walked up to just whack golf balls around at the local middle school football field, you know, back and forth. And, um, as we're doing that few kids walk up, nobody we knew, older kids, teenagers, older teenagers, like 17, 18. And they walked up, took our golf clubs and walked away. It was like a nine iron or something, a pitching wedge, walk away. And, um, then they stopped and then they came walking back and I told my brother, just let them do whatever they want to do. Something seems off, came up, started acting strange. And the next thing I knew I'm down on the ground and a guy was beating me up with my golf club, nine iron, you know, nice, big, heavy, <laughs> heavy end to it. Um, and, uh, got down in the fetal position and covering my head up. So we are getting into the dark place here <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, very sounds very trite, but I really remembered just going calm in my life, like all these memories flashing through my head, you know, and I was pretty sure I was going to die. That was just hitting me over and over and over. And, uh, then all of a sudden it stopped and I hear kind of out of the distance, like really far away. My little brother, I think he was five at the time yelling run. And I looked up and the guy was standing there with the golf club in his hands and it had broken. The shaft just snapped in half from him hitting me over the head with it. And so we took off and we ran across the street and sat down at a neighbor's, um, a neighbor's porch. And these two really beautiful, nice old women came, came out as I bled all over her front stoop. <laughs> and, and uh, called the police. And, and so we sat there waiting for the police and the ambulance to come. And as I, like I say, I'm, I don't know, I probably had ice on it or something, who knows. And, um, and at that moment, it's the calmest I've ever been. And I'm sitting there listening 
you know, this is, this is where the name comes in. I'm sitting there feeling super, super calm and listening to in the heat of the summer, the sound of the locust buzzing, which anyone who's lived in the South or the Midwest, you know, really knows that sound. And just, it can be annoying, but it can also be calming and, and, uh, meditative, you know? And so that's actually a good word is sort of like a meditative state. Almost. I'm sitting there just feeling really calm and, and, and thinking, huh, that guy almost killed me. How about that? And well, that's not going to happen again. I got to make the most out of my life and I'm not going to accept crap anymore. And I just, all these things I started thinking like, man, this is my chance to do so many good things and so much like fill my life with so much. And, um, and yeah, I was calm and it was just wild. And so every time, obviously every time I think about anything meaningful to me, that one moment is like, that's huge to me. I mean, it, that, that was the motivation to, that, that helped me get into college. I wrote an essay about it, you know, like so many things, um, that that moment has done for me. And every time I think about it, the very first thing, you know, we always, we remember senses, right? We remember sound and smell and taste and, and it's that sound that I always hear. And as soon as I think about it, I hear that sound of the buzzing. And so roundabout way, that's what got me. That's what got me to that name. And truth being, it's probably cicadas. I don't think I knew the difference between cicadas and locusts until, until I was older. But whatever, locusts is a little meaner looking too. Well, I think we're all glad you picked locusts versus cicadas. Because <laughs> spelling it would be really a kind of a difficult one. But I had no idea that that was the depth of the story because on your website, you, you kind of make a reference to strength, perseverance and calm. And I had no idea. Yeah. Did, yeah. did you ever find out what was the motivation for this? Yeah, it was. Um, so Fort Worth, uh, I think still it's definitely a very um, class divided kind of place. And so it's just some kids from, uh, from a super poor area that, you know, we're looking for money and drug related. And, uh, you know, I was a 13 year old with like running shorts on, I didn't have any money, but, and, uh, they caught a guy. I remember the police coming into my school and doing a lineup with pictures and you know, getting called to the principal's office. It's pretty wild. wild experience. Oh but, but he, he truly, I mean, truly the guy was, he was in an altered state and he, I was dead, man. I was dead. If that golf club hadn't have broken. Wow. Pretty okay. Crazy. Pretty crazy. That, that's, yeah. that's very deep. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it's great that you've, you've used that as a, an anchor for your business to keep you, you know, it's an anchor in your life and you've gone on, like you said, and you've made the best of it. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's also, you know, um, entrepreneurship is hard, right? Especially right now. I mean, God, we're, we have 15 locations that are mostly shut down because of COVID. And, um, um, you ask any, any founder or entrepreneur, like we're constantly worried about what could happen. And so we have to, it's, it's good to have, it's good to have bad things in the past. <laughs> so you can always remember it could be worse, you know, a, no, a frame of reference. Yeah. Yeah. What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, every risk I take financially or personally or, or physically, you know, I always have to say, what's the worst that could happen. Right. Right. So you started Locus in 2015. So you're right. coming up on your sixth year. If my math okay. is correct. 
Awesome. I think um, it will be six in March or May or something like that. And you, no one ever told you the roadmap didn't have a pandemic involved. Um, that just was not part that was of the, the plan. Yeah, totally in the plan, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> but, but why cider? What got you started? You, you, so you, sure. you grew up in Texas. You're here in Washington now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why cider? What was the, what was the motivation? And, uh, well, I'm lucky that I'm here in Washington where we grow so many apples. I've only, I've been in Washington for a little over 10 years now. Um, and, uh, let's see when I started, when I started working on this, I, I had just really learned about cider. I have a, I developed an allergy to some beer related allergy. I, I think it's certain strains of hops. I get really sniffly and break out and I can't breathe very well, but I love beer. Um, I love why I love any, you know, I like it all. But, okay. um, so I, I was at a restaurant with some friends and, um, one friend from, I think she was European. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly, but she had always drank, had cider. She's always been a cider drinker and she was drinking cider. And I was asking which beers have the lowest IBUs so that I can get a beer that doesn't make me sneeze. And I noticed she was drinking cider and this was a long, a long time ago before angry orchard even. And, um, and I'm like, huh, what's that? She's like, yeah, I have allergies. So I tried it. And like, wow, this is amazing. And I just became my thing. And unfortunately, when I get into something, it turns into some sort of business or. Okay. Well, that's, you know? uh, yeah. Hey, I've had your ciders. I'm, I'm, on, I'm glad. Good, you know, so, <laughs> so you started in Woodenville mm-hmm. and now you have how many tap rooms throughout Washington state at this time? Yes, we have eleven in Washington. Wow, and uh, and then four in other states, a couple in one in Texas and three in Colorado, but mostly in Washington. Okay, and uh, we do all our production here in Woodenville. I'm sitting in Woodenville. We make everything here, and it's uh, we have a tap room here on site, and then all the other locations are just small tap rooms. And how do I want to say this? So you, you do everything there in Woodenville. You 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 can it, you keg it. Mm-hmm. You, for a minute you also have a brewery is the brewery on site in woodenville as well it used to be um and now we've just we keep growing out of our space so at this point we're bouncing around among other breweries in the area there's so many breweries and frankly it works out great because um during these times and even before the pandemic you know there have been a lot of uh, breweries have been challenged so we're able to we're able to partner with other breweries and use their facilities and uh, give them some, you know, added income, which is cool. Yeah. Oh, we still great. get to brew the beers that we want to brew. So, okay. All our space here in Woodenville though, we, we've just, you know, we've been growing out of it. And so we just, we keep repurposing it for, for uh, cider making and storage. Okay. So how many gallons of cider are you making in any measurable period of time? I guess, you know, you know what? Everybody asks that question. It's a good question. I, it's not a bad question at all. Um, and I don't track that. You know, we track, we track number of customers we have and we track sales because sales matter and sure. other, other things like that. But I never, I rarely look at that number. I would say um, it's in the range of a few hundred thousand gallons a year. Okay. That's a lot um, of cider. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of cider. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. So, let, let's let me back up. So you you found cider as a way of 
not having the allergy problems with beer. Mm -hmm. And you were working for other companies at that time. One little Mm -hmm. coffee company, you know, no one's ever heard of before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What, how did you get into making cider? Did, are you actually, did you start making your own? Mm -hmm. Did you start? Okay. So you started. Yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah, I was, um, you said I was working for some random little coffee company. Um, (laughs) and you know, I don't even remember exactly when I decided it needed to be a business, but I think I, I, as soon as I tasted it, I couldn't find what I liked on the market. You know, it was right around the time that, um, the industry was starting to grow in the U S and so, um, maybe angry orchard was just being found in angry orchard. You know, it's a Sam Adams, Boston beer company. And really they, that brand really helped. I think helped this, mar- this, uh, market just boom. Um, and then all the, all the other local brands are now taking over the market. But at the time you couldn't go to the store and find much, right. There weren't a whole lot of options. And I, I, I tasted a good, just like modern cider that first day and thought it was amazing. And then I started trying to find what I could. And I ended up, you know, I found like some French farmhouse ciders, like my favorite cider is uh, DuPont French farmhouse, funky, like just really, really delicious cider. Couldn't find anything like that. So my mission was how can I recreate that? And turns out I can't really. <laughs> don't really Let me that. just pause you and ask you just directly. Why, why can't you create, recreate that? What's well, um, it's, you know, it, you can, and there, there are some great, great cider brands in, in Washington actually that are doing really good traditional ciders with bittersweet apples and, and European varietals. Um, but the, the access to that fruit is really difficult. It's really limited. Um, and I didn't have an orchard in my backyard. I didn't have a, I, I didn't have a family estate to, to build on. And I didn't, and I'm, I'm too impatient to say, I'm going to go, I'm going to go write a plan to, you know, to buy some land, establish an orchard, wait five or 10 years for it to really come into fruition and then start doing R and D. Like I'm too, way too impatient for that. So okay. I, I had to work with what I had, you know, and what we have in Washington is a whole lot of eating apples and, mm-hmm. um, stuff in the, the, the French ciders I'm, you know, that I was tasting and talking about are, you know, hundreds of years old orchards with heirloom varieties and, and traditional cider varieties of apples that have, have, uh, flavors that we just can't develop out of the eating apples. So, so I started using fruit that we do have, that we have access to in a lot of in Washington, you know, which is granny Smith and, and gala and those apples and trying to find creative ways to, to create those flavors. And I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't find those flavors, but we found our own. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. How long did it take you to get to your, to find your voice in your cider um, making? I mean, we still are, <laughs> we okay. still are. We do, we do, we do everything. Right. So I would say that, there were, there've been maybe three or four different phases of that for me. But at the beginning, the first phase was, um, wow, this really is bad. <laughs> you know, I, I remember having some friends over for a little R and D session, like, like, Hey guys, this is, I'm thinking of make, making a 
business out of this. What do you think? And they all just sort of like, Oh yeah. Smiling. Don't don't quit your day job. (laughs) This is great. It's great. (laughs) And, uh, I think I knew it and I had already signed a lease at that point. Um, so I had to figure it out quick. Right. (laughs) So you just started learning and and paying attention to, um, asking around and and, uh, reading and finding people who are good at it. And then, you know, I think, with a few new techniques quickly from that point, um, quickly from that point, we, uh, uh, turned the corner and figured out what the, I think, um, cleaner cider and, um, uh, drier ciders is really where we started. And Mm -hmm. that was our voice to, to begin with. But over time we've evolved to where, um, it can go so many places. So, it's more about being creative at this point. Yeah. When we went to your Walla Walla location, we, we had uh, two flights. So we had a sample of everything you guys had on tap at that time, which, you know, mm-hmm. it's a ro- some of them are rotating. So your mm-hmm. mileage may vary if you visit next month. <laughs> yeah. And they were, my, my wife and I went and they were, unfortunately we were in a rush. So we didn't get to spend as much time as we would probably naturally spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but we yeah. enjoyed them a lot. Um, my wife and I can't think of the name of it. I, I had a note written down and I can't find it, but you had one at the time that was your, your, your staff was saying it was, uh, uh, more wine like, um, mm-hmm. and I can't remember the name of it. She, it, it, mm-hmm. to her, it reminded her of a Chardonnay. It had okay. kind of an oak okay. and she, she really liked that one a lot. Um, that was okay, one that cool. she was like, I've, <clears throat> she's never had anything in the cider realm that was like that. So she really thought that was awesome. And, I tend to like sweeter ciders. And mm-hmm. so I like the vanilla bean one, which is pretty, <laughs> yeah. pretty darn sweet. But that yeah, was, yeah. that was that great. Was pretty cool. Yeah. yeah that was a, it's a great, great. but then your, 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 your staff brought over a couple of uh, tasters of the frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, yeah. That was, that was, um, I'm just glad it's winter time because in oh, summertime yeah. I'd be in trouble. Those yeah, are amazing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't go wrong with a slushy. <laughs> so how'd you guys come up with the slushy idea? Oh God. I, uh, I, good question. Good question. I don't know. My wife's from new Orleans. So maybe, maybe it comes from the, uh, hurricanes walking down the street. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, okay. I can see, I can see yeah. a, a cross pollination there. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think, I think it's, I, I think customers probably asked for it. Honestly, I think somebody, one of our customers probably suggested it. And we said, well, we got to do that. That sounds delicious. And, and in my very small sample size, I would, yeah. I would concur. I also remember, I actually, I also remember I was in Hong Kong. Um, just, it was about six years ago. As we were, it was right early when we were working on this at the very beginning. And I, I remember going to, uh, a horse race. So there's a horse track right in the middle of Hong Kong. And, um, there was, Oh my God, what a surreal experience. Actually, this is so tangent, man. So I was at a horse race in Hong Kong. There was a French rap group performing and they had frozen beer. <laughs> and what? it was like, it was like a hundred degrees. This is the strangest experience, man. But yeah. So I remember everybody was lined up for the frozen beer and it was really good. It was really good. Yeah. I didn't know you could do frozen beer, so I was watching horses race, listening to a French rap group, drinking some frozen beer. Frozen beer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So for the last five years, I always, I always like to ask entrepreneurs this question. 
So I'm going to throw you on, under the bus here, but so cool. you, you've got a lot. How many varieties do you guys have on tap at any given time? Uh, between 12 and 16 generally. Okay. So you've got 12 to 16 different varieties of cider available to the public mm -hmm. at any time, which mm -hmm. is a nice selection. I think, I think anyone's going to find something out of that many, that many choices. A lot of ciders. Just, a lot of right. ciders. You must have had this idea that said, hey, this will make a great cider. We'll combine this and this and it'll be awesome. And in mm -hmm. your head, you know, you're like going, hmm, this would be great. And when yeah. you, and it backfired. There is, have there been any um, yeah. missteps? So, yeah, yeah, so many. I'm trying to think, you know, the fight. That's, I'm trying to think of the most interesting one, honestly. Um, I mean, I'll turn it around a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to avoid the question because I love talking about the bad stuff. Um, you know, some of the ones I thought were going to be the worst turned into the best too. Like I didn't really, um, our, our cider maker at the time developed a vanilla bean and like, what? That's a ridiculous idea. Why are, why would you do that? And it's freaking awesome. And yeah. <laughs> our number one seller. And then, oh, uh, okay. yeah, it's our, it's our, it's our number one. Um, and, uh, God, we do a the same another one that's it's kind of a cult favorite that we're bringing back soon is smoked blueberries. So we smoke apples over over apple wood and mesquite and blend them up and and then throw them in with some blueberry juice and it's so good. But it, I thought it would taste like an ashtray, you know. God, what has just uh, failed? You know, we did one. Some people loved it. So like, I, I like gozas a lot, goza beers, mm -hmm. and so we did a we. A is the worst name ever that I came up with. I came up with the same. Not a very good cider. Some people love it, but we did a, a Goza-inspired cider that's just a little salty and a little citrusy. And um, I think two people like it. And those two people, it's their favorite thing ever. But ever? I, it, it was not good. I don't think it was very good. And, I, and I, I, I decided to name it Brackish. You know, Brackish water. You got a little salt and a little fresh. And it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a horrible name, horrible <laughs> so yeah that's not a good one okay i, I always real. love hearing people's you know we, we think this is gonna be awesome we're like oh we'll combine this and that or we'll do this and they yeah. just fall flat on their face because normally what i find isn't i don't ask the question to like be embarrassing to people but i i i have found that in many cases when when we've tried something that we thought in our heads was going to be just like brilliant and it mm -hmm. doesn't work that way but something in there's the kernel of something else though that comes out of it later that you're like, well, I would I don't know if I would have gotten here if I wouldn't have fallen on my face over here. Right. So that yeah. was yeah, for sure. That's what we love about the way we do business, man. Is that we've got all of these tap rooms and they're small, right? And so our, mm -hmm. we can be intimate with our customers. So we can just we can try anything, and it's okay if it fails. You know, we can right. We can we can launch. We can launch something new every week and if it falls on its face, oh well, you know, and there's always something to learn. So the bets aren't real big. We're not making these huge bets where the company's going to go under. We can just try stuff. It's awesome. So if I came to you and I said, I wanted to like, I wanted to like formulate a cider and let's just say you said, okay, Scott, we'll do that. How long, how long would it be before you, that cider would be available and how small of batches do you make when you're, when you're prototyping something like that? Um, yeah, you know, there's so many different ways to approach it. Um, we, we have a few different ways, uh, on, on the long end of the spectrum. I mean, when we're talking about 
um, very variety specific, you know, single varietals and, and blends of specific varieties. Um, that takes a long time, obviously, right? We're, uh, we're sourcing the fruit and we're fermenting the fruit and we're, um, in many cases aging it, especially with the more, um, tannic varieties, you know, aging it for a few months. So, so if we're really looking at a, a very, a more traditional cider, that takes, uh, take three months, six months a year. Um, okay. but the, but the fun stuff, the weird stuff, the vanilla beans, you know, we, um, most of our flavors, if it's fruit, we use real, we all, we use all real ingredients. We don't use weird flavors. Um, but we like to add them. We like to add them at the end of the process because the flavor carries through the most. Um, okay. you know, we've done, we played with co-fermenting where you add, you know, we're fermenting apples and cherries together. And, um, it certainly changes the character of the, the beverage, but it doesn't, you know, I find that the flavor just doesn't carry through as strongly. So realistically, you know, you could come to me and say, you could give me an idea today and maybe we could, we could, uh, have something by the end of the week for you to try, you know, and we run, wow, uh, that's, that's we, amazingly yeah, fast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what's so fun about it. Right. And, and so we, oh, that's, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, we do batches. Our batch sizes range from the smallest batches we do are as little as like a uh, hundred gallons all the way up to, you know, thousands. But okay. so we, can run, we run really small batches and we'll just make a few kegs and send them to a handful of our locations and see how they do. That's, that's fascinating. Okay. So we're going to, uh, locus your, your branding. Mm-hmm. How did you come across? How did you get your branding? Because it's it's very um, on point. I guess is an overused cool. term. Well, I appreciate but, that. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, but and your tap rooms have like like I said before we started recording. I think you you know you guys have put a lot of attention to detail in your at least in your Walla Walla tap room. And I'm, from the photographs I've seen of other ones, they look like they have attention to detail based on their space as well. But how did you come up with the uh, the the look and feel of the brand? Um, Man, I, I am so bad at it <laughs> and I've always some, there are t- points in time when I think I know what I'm doing where I have and realized I didn't, we started, I mean, frankly, we started, the branding was, um, homegrown and, uh, took for granted how hard it is to develop packaging and, and a cohesive brand. I mean, it's, it's not easy really hard and it's not just a design exercise you know there's so many pieces to it so we started uh, frankly not super I, w- I was never real excited about where we were at the beginning and nobody's fault it's just you know it's all my fault i didn't have the right vision for what it should be but over time uh you know a brand it's easy to say now looking back we probably wasted a lot of money in the process but you know a brand sort of develops and especially if you can give it the time from the people and the company and the customers right like if we if we said at the very beginning this is our brand and then let's all live up to that it's maybe a little more difficult so i like the idea that our brands are developed from who we are as people and who our customers are and you know if you look at it i'll talk about the graphics and stuff in a sec if you want but if you know our our customers, I like to think anyway that, you know, our brand and who we are as people and our, our, our staff and our people, we're, 
we're, we work hard, man. We're, we work hard and we're, um, we're pretty humble and, uh, uh, blue collar, maybe, you know, we don't, we don't have pretensions and we just come in and we work our butts off. And, um, and I think our branding kind of went to a place like that. Maybe we're also creative and, and I, I hope it conveys a little bit of that. And I, I feel like we kind of attract that same customer, you know, um, I mean, we're not, we're not pretending we're, we're not pretending we're the absolute best, right? We're, we're doing things that we love and we're passionate about. And we're doing it as best as we can. We're being super creative. And I think that's who our customers are. That's who we are. And so it's kind of the branding ended up. And I didn't know necessarily that that's where it would go until we were, you know, we had hired some people over time and built some personality organically. And I think so when, when we developed the branding as it is, it was when I was starting to feel like, ah, this little picture of a bug doesn't really represent the company anymore, you know, and it, and it doesn't convey what I want it to convey in the grocery stores. It doesn't, it doesn't add to the feeling in our tap room. So, um, I went, well, I'm really being windy with the story. So stop me if I'm taking it all over the place, but I went to uh, first to a, a local artist who um, is a friend of mine. Actually, I raced bikes with him. At least I did when I didn't have kids in a business keeping me from racing bikes. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm going to plug him. I hope he doesn't mind. His name is Scott Musgrove. Um, check out his, uh, his website. Amazing fine artist. And so I hope he's not embarrassed to be associated with my silly little branding. But so... Um, we'll also put a link in the show notes to his site then too. Cool, so we cool. can't avoid it. How's that? <laughs> yeah. He might, he might hate me for this. Um, That's okay. definitely did not ask him in advance. Um, so, uh, um, but I went to him and said, man, we need, we just need something new and, and something with life, um, and something with some, uh, emotion and passion behind it. And I think he whipped out in about 30 seconds, like these sketches that they all blew me away. And, um, one of them ended up being this sort of skull and crossbones, um, insect head, locust head. And, uh, that's where we went. We took that and ran with it. And, um, like, man, this thing is so awesome. And, and so we went through all sorts of iterations of that and, uh, um, started incorporating it in different ways. And, um, and then when we opened, you know, when our packaging, it was kind of two dimensional at the time, still super cool. But then when we opened our first tap room outside of Woodenville, um, so you asked the question about store design and how we make it cohesive and things like that. And, and um, really looked at, uh, looked at the graphics as the main element and thought we need to bring some color into it. So it's another phase of the story. I went to my mom, who's uh, an amazing designer and artist. Kate Hamilton is her name. And uh, said, "Hey, let's let's make a cool mural out of this." And so, just started adding all these other elements. And so, when you look at like the big murals in our stores, and if you look at the, the cans, all the intricacies and the fruit and the the um, other elements are all pieces that we added later. So, my mom kind of created this this really cool mural, and that still wasn't our packaging at the time either. That was just a big element in the store. But then we noticed, you know, this is where who our customers are, right. Kind of drives the brand. We noticed everybody was like Instagramming in front of the mural, right? Like everybody, everybody was asking where it came from. Everybody was asking for shirts with it. And like, well, I think we need to use this art. I think we need to use this more. So 
Yeah. If you have a, if you have a, a brand that people want to wear, um, you've mm-hmm. done something right. You've done yeah, something right. 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 But business isn't always dollars and cents. You, you've got, you pick Locust cause of your, your event in your life, but you have a cause mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I'd love for you to take the time and explain to the, to our listeners, Locust cause and why it's important. And yeah, I'd yeah, love to turn it over to you. I'd love to. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. So uh, let's see, May 2015 or sorry, March 2015 is when we started construction here in Woodenville on our original cidery in February, 2015 is when my daughter was born, Lucy. Um, and she has an older brother, Elliot. Elliot's nine now and Lucy's five, soon to be six in kindergarten. Um, wow. she, she was born with, uh, so one month before we started construction, really bad timing for starting a business, <laughs> really bad, but there's also not really a good time. Um, so she was born with, uh, hydrocephalus and we, we had, we had inklings from the doctors that there might be something wrong before she was born, but we really learned about it after. Um, even at the time when she was born, they, they saw things in her brain and didn't put a name to it. And then one day the doctors put a name to it. When they name, when you name a health condition, it all of a sudden takes on a different, different life. It's, it's odd, right? Um, it's different to not feel well than it is to have cancer, right? So, um, they learned, learned she had hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus is a, um, it's a brain condition. Uh, it's incurable. There's no cure. And, uh, there really aren't very many good treatments. The only treat true treatment is, um, is a shunt device that's implanted in your brain. Um, so what the condition is, is brain fluid. So we all have brain fluid, right? We all have brain fluid. Uh, but for these people, uh, the fluid builds and never drains. Normally it recirculates through your body. Um, people with hydrocephalus have brain fluid that doesn't drain and continues to build. And what it does is it builds pressure in your brain. And you can imagine that constantly continuously builds then that creates pain their heads get bigger um and then on top of that lucy also had a skull condition in which normally when you're born you have um imagine tectonic plates your skull is made of tectonic plates right so that it can grow as your body grows well hers were fused together in the back so on one hand she has hydrocephalus and this pressure is building and on the other hand her skull can't grow with it so the first couple months of her life, she was in pain. She was just crying and crying and crying. Um, so, uh, it was hard when we learned about this <laughs> and I remember being at the hospital for, I think it was her first surgery. So she, her first surgery was her skull surgery. And then, and then she, um, had to have a shunt implanted and the shunt is a, it's a, like a one way valve that drains the brain fluid from your brain. Um, and that's, well, I'll talk about that in a sec. So I remember being at the hospital for her first surgery and I saw a poster on the wall for the hydrocephalus walk. I'm like, oh man, my daughter has a named condition and they have a walk for it. Wow. <laughs> uh, that can't be good. But also it's great that there's a group of people I can look at and look to. So I, um, I dug them up, found out about, you know, this community of people and learned more about the condition. And it turns out that, you know, a million people in the U S have it. It's, wow. it's, it's as prevalent as down syndrome and, you know, other conditions that we know about that people talk about, but not a lot of people know about it. 
Um, so right at that moment, I'm like, oh my God, there's, if there's organization around this, then, and I'm just starting this company, then this is going to be part of my company. So that was, uh, that was an immediate, um, obvious and conscious decision was we have to make this part of our company. So, um, uh, at that point I said, we're going to, we're going to build into our pricing, um, a donation, right? So everything we sell, um, generates some piece of a donation to the hydrocephalus association. It's a national group that, that, uh, uh, supports research on better treatments, supports making people's lives better. And a lot of it also funnels down to research specifically at Seattle Children's Hospital. Um, then we have a club, you know, our, all our tap rooms have a cider club and a big portion of the membership fee goes to that too. So, um, so it was, it was something I had to build in right away. So Lucy's had now, she's had four surgeries. Um, she's five years old. Her first was a big skull surgery. And then she's had a surgery to implant the shunt in her brain. And she's had two, her shunt has failed twice. So she's had two, um, revision, they call it a revision surgery to go in and repair it. And so repair or replace. And that's the problem. Um, the problem with the condition is that the treatment shunt device is really antiquated it tends to fail a lot and the average person with hydrocephalus has brain surgeries in the dozens throughout their life and i know people it's not uncommon people have um triple digit brain surgeries throughout their life and every single one is i mean it's brain surgery you know it's not it's not a physical it's a brain surgery so um it's a uh, it's scary and it's painful but the same time um a lot of people live really amazing normal lives and uh, a lot of people don't as well so you referenced the swarm club mm -hmm. why don't we why don't you expand on that for our audience yeah because it's awesome uh, yeah it sounds it's it's, awesome. it's, it is yeah, let's <laughs> talk about that it's the best deal it's the best deal this side of the mississippi um it's uh it it uh so it's all really built around our tap rooms right so you you pay you pay an annual membership fee to be part of the club and you get you get um you're basically prepaying for like a pint or a flight every time you come in every time you come in for you and a friend so you get to try the new stuff you get discounts on growlers like big discounts like half price growlers and and i mean it the people that have it a lot of people do it because they want to be part of the cause because of 25 bucks of the membership goes straight to the cause. And um, we funnel it straight through. So a lot of people join for that reason. A lot of people join because um, they want to be part of uh, release parties and things like that, that we, well, we did before the pandemic, <laughs> we will do again someday. Um, Are you gonna maybe do a virtual one? Uh, yeah, we've tried, we've tried to do those things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. We'll, we'll keep, we'll keep trying. Um, okay. Definitely keep trying. And, and, you know, they get first access to new flavors and stuff like that. And, um, we have a private Facebook group and we ask them for feedback. Um, and you know, it's a cool community actually. So a lot of people join for that reason. So they can be part of that sort of community. That's a big part of our company. And a lot of people just join because it's a really freaking good deal and they pay for them. It pays for itself really fast. You know, it's 200 bucks or so. And, um, yeah. if you're drinking, if you, if you buy a growler every week, it pays for itself almost overnight so so i always I, i've never 
growler. And then you guys also call something else a grunt. It's like a half size now, growler. Yeah. Okay. So but I still don't know how many ounces is in a growler. That's my question. <laughs> 64 ounces. 64. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. All right. So 64, 64 ounces. ounces in a I should know that, but I don't. Okay. That's okay. That means, that means you're, you're tempered in your alcohol. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there's you don't want to know too much, uh, right? <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so when you're not being dad, when you're not being a husband, when you're not running a business, in your copious free time, you know, those hours every day that you have just to yourself, what do you do around Washington? Like, like if I said to you, hey, let's go, let's go grab lunch somewhere. And we can uh-huh. actually at this time go grab lunch somewhere. Right, right. Where's a good place to eat that people should know about that, you know, they might not have heard of. Oh man, you were going to put me on the spot with that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, that's a tough question. There's so many, you know, there's so many um, spot for lunch, spot for lunch. Can I pass on that and come back to that question? Sure. I'm going to think yeah. about it though. Okay. Right. That's fine. Two, two reasons because there are too many options, um, too many good choices. Well, some of them are gone now, which kind of stinks. And let's hope that a lot of, a lot of them make it. Um, but I also have too many friends in restaurants and I want to, oh, okay. I want to, I want to pick the right one. I don't want to make somebody mad. I wanna okay. All right. All right. Yeah, sorry. Didn't, didn't mean to, didn't mean to make it that tough on you. No, but, but before, we, um, before but we started thing. recording, you mentioned bike, bicycle, virtual bike racing. Uh huh. Uh-huh. I, you know, I think when I think of that, I think of the Pelotron and then you're talking yeah, about yeah, this yeah. other device. Yeah, do you, yeah. do you ever ride at Marymore? At the, at the I love, track. I love the velodrome. Yeah, I love okay. it. That is such a great, they've got such a great, man, we're so lucky to have that here, right? This is, Marymore Velodrome is such a unique um, addition, a unique thing to have in your community. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I raced a couple years there. And I, every year I'm training for it and I never do it because I'm too busy. But um, okay. they, we actually sponsor the velodrome. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not. We sponsored the Velodrome. Yeah. So when you go, when you can be in person, you can buy our cider at their beer garden. We donate it so that they can get part of their funding. Um, uh, yeah, the uh, Marymore Velodrome is so cool. And they do a great job. They run it really well. They build a community of, of cyclists out there. They teach kids. I feel like that was a planted question, man, because here I am. Here I am oh. singing its praises, but... Um, you know, they, they have a great program for kids. They teach kids about track racing and, and bike racing. Um, a lot of passion with the people down there. Super cool. Super, super cool. I've never ridden on a track. And I always, I always thought, like, how did one, you know, that's just not something you naturally do. Right. And you have right. to have it. You have to have a track. First off, it's not like you're going to go duplicate one in your backyard. Right. And second of all, it's like, well, how does one learn to ride on a, on a track bike? That just seems crazy to me. Yeah, it's pretty um, wild, but it's, it's, uh, man, not to get too nerdy on this, but you know, track bike racing is like one of the original spectator sports, right? I mean, they were doing, they were doing the race at Madison square garden back before people were going to watch NFL football games, you know? And, uh, what? It's, just, it's got such a long history. I'm not going to, I, I, I am uh, not knowledgeable enough to educate you okay. right now, but <laughs> I'll make myself, I'll sound <laughs> stupid if I try too hard, <laughs> but, um, you know, 
people should research that sport. It's a really cool sport, man. It's a really cool sport. I, I had no idea that they were that, that and not that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a sports expert either, but I had no <laughs> idea that it was done um, at the, at Madison square garden and all that. That's pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. Virtual bike racing, it has nothing to do with Washington state, but I, I do want to like, I just want to hear a little bit more about this. So you, what was the name of the device again? Zwift with a Z. Zwift. Yeah. Zwift. I am, okay. I am so into it. I'm like, they should pay me. Cause I'm, <laughs> I'm so into it. Um, I mean, especially right now, like all these, all the virtual services are blowing up. Anything virtual is blowing up. Um, but yeah, so you imagine a Peloton, but with your own bike and you plug into a little trainer and it measures your power and, and you go race virtually with thousands of people and they're in, they're in Australia and they're in London and they're in China. It's, just, it's crazy. They're all over the world, Argentina. And so what, um, are, you, are you watching a TV set when you yeah, do this like or? on your computer? It's an app on your computer and, and they have a virtual world with roads everywhere. And, um, wow. uh, and you, you, you ride through the virtual worlds and you can choose which direction you go. They have a number of different, different maps and you can go uphill, you go downhill and you're just riding in a world and you see, you know, it's a first person view as you're riding along and you see other cyclists riding. And, and if you're behind them, the, the algorithms in the app know that you're drafting and it's a little bit easier. And, and oh, if you're not, then it gets a little harder when you're going uphill, the resistance increases on your trainer and it gets harder to ride. It's really cool. And I would say it's actually, you know, I, I've been very lax about it lately because I'm kind of busy and stressed out by pandemic stuff and but which is more reason or exercise right but uh it's been really good as a honestly as a regional thing i mean we've got you know i'm part of a part of the racing team here in um, seattle area that you know they're using that as their place to gather right now you know oh, okay so they're still they're still meeting and going for rides and talking to each other through whatever technology virtual app. yeah and they're you know and then like there's a there's a bike race down in Ballard every year, the Ballard Criterium, and um, mm-hmm. our team usually is an organizer of that, and I try to be a sponsor for a company, and that couldn't happen this year, so they ran it virtually, you know. And there were prizes, and and uh, so it's a way to sort of it's been a good platform for keeping some semblance of community going on a regional level. Not just you know, not everything is completely virtual, right? So. Uh, one of the things that's been interesting while talking to people on this show, if you will, is that uh, I hate to use the word pivot. I say that almost every episode and I end up using it, but we've all, you know, we've all reinvented ourselves, found ways of adapting, um, mm-hmm. creating ways that you would have not thought of, you know, a year ago. And um, not everything's been easy by any stretch of the imagination. Not everything's worked, but uh, the resilience of people is pretty, pretty, amazing, oh, yeah. uh, pretty ama- amazing. And it's, it's fascinating to see, like you're describing this virtual bike, bike world now and um, how yeah. we're leveraging technology to, you know, have that sense of community that we seem to be missing. And we can't sit down yeah. in your tap room and have a pint. We can do it yeah. virtually. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So where can people, besides your tap rooms, mm-hmm. you're in stores in, in Washington, where, 
where can people find your, your, your site? Yeah, we're, we're, we're not all over, but we're, we're pretty accessible. And, um, especially I would say some of the awesome like regional stores like PCC, um, my favorite, favorite regional chain, um, PCC, Hagen, it's great. Right. Uh, and then I guess Whole Foods is local now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. How you look at it. Uh, PCC, Hagen, Whole Foods, some Safeways and, and QFCs and stuff here and there. Um, Costco. So you can find us around. And obviously, we're Costco. We're Costco yeah. Little, small little retailer. Small, small retailer. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if, uh, if you want it, you go into a store, they don't have it. Ask for it, please. <laughs> It helps us. No, it's out there. Absolutely. It's out there. And hopefully all Absolutely. the bars and restaurants that can come back healthy will. Um, and we can keep partnering with all them too. Uh, do you have, are there is, I might be throwing you into the bus and oh. if you don't want to, I'll delete this question. Todd, you may delete this. Just kidding. <laughs> um, can we put in a pitch for a tap room in Wenatchee? You know, selfishly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Why not? I love it out there. Yeah. I think if you guys were to put not, not I'm we're tongue planted firmly in shape, but, uh, <laughs> Pibus market. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Been, yeah. Uh-huh. Having, having a tap room in Pibus would be, uh, would be super cool. Yeah, you should do that. That'd be super cool. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. You're going to run it though. Uh, you got to run it. Oh, well, no, you don't. <laughs> we're near the public. <laughs> no. Um, any, no, my question, the legitimate question there is any, are you going to continue growing tap rooms? Is that kind of the plan? If let's snap my fingers and poof back to quote unquote normal now. Yeah. It, yeah. Is, was your plan more tap rooms or? Uh, yeah. So, you know, to get a little businessy on it, um, we want to be pretty balanced. You know, my goal is to be really balanced as a company and, um, I, I see a lot of brand, beverage brands that come and go in let's call it the grocery business, right? Like one of the classic examples in the, in business is uh, ballast point and how they, you know, they sold their company for a billion dollars based on the premise that um, they were this huge brand that was going to make tons and tons of money forever. And, consumers, you know, people want new things and people want to try new things and brand loyalty is, is not the same as it used to be. So, um, that was a really bad buy, even though, even though it's a great company, you know, it was a bad buy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, um, you know, we're still a small company and there's still risk involved. And so every time I, I'm putting my effort and money and my ability to, you know, put food on my kid's table at risk, then, uh, I want to do something that I have some confidence in. And I just, it's hard to have confidence that even if we keep making great stuff, that it's going to survive on the grocery shelves forever. And that, you know, because people's tastes change, man, they change all the time. So, so we want to be balanced and, um, and the same with the tap rooms, you know, if it was all tap rooms, we would actually be in a lot more pain right now, you know? And so, that's a good point. Um, so we like to have a nice balanced business and it's cool that our customers can, meet us and talk to us and, um, see what we do. I mean, I, I sit here in Woodenville working and when the tap room's not open, if a customer walks in, I'm still, I mean, I'm, I'm fixing them a flight and sending them away with a growler. I mean, they, the cool, not that I'm special, but it's cool that I can be here and actually meet my customers, you know? 
And, and so they can meet us and see what we do. And then they can still go to the grocery store and buy it too. So our, you know, our plan is to, is to keep growing in this uh, balanced sort of relevant and this way that feels good, you know? So we're not just slamming cans down on grocery shelves and saying, take it or leave it. So we want to mm-hmm. do both, man. We're going to do both. And we want to open more. You know, I don't certainly don't want to be a Starbucks and have 50,000 in the same city, but um, we don't want to water it down so much that it's not special. You know, we're not trying to have, I, we don't expect to have a hundred tap rooms in Washington and be this huge ubiquitous brand. We, we only want them to be in places that have strong communities where we can actually be part of the community, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and it's not about just trying to, to reach the whole market. So it's more about where we, where we can be relevant, where we can be meaningful and, um, and then just to kind of grow the business around all of that. So we'll definitely open more. Well, we want to open more. This there's right. we hit a little speed bump, you know, right now we all have. Right. Right. So we're going to circle back. Well, actually I'm going to ask I have two final questions for you. One is lunch. I know. It's getting to be that time. Man. I know your I friends know. will understand. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, let me, let me, I'll give you a, I'll give you a genre and then you can blame me for it. Yeah. So, uh, burgers, where's a great place to grab a burger that you would. Oh man. This is hard, man. This is hard. I mean, there's no, you can't go wrong with a Dick's burger. You know, you cannot, you can't go wrong (laughs) with a Dick's burger. There's a reason they're still around, man. So, and they got the food truck now. I know, I know. Yeah, yeah. I can't go wrong with. Dick. I had I had them on the uh, earlier episode, and and she was great. And yeah, they're just yeah. I okay. What a, you, you said truck. I'm going to stop you from asking my next question. The next genre. So okay. I'm a barbecue guy. I grew up in Texas, right? Um, okay. I actually, owned I used to. I was in the restaurant business back then. I had a um, at a barbecue restaurant for a while. So um, okay, best barbecue is a truck J and J they come, they come up here to Woodenville sometimes. Um, they're all over J and J's barbecue. Okay. Link up those guys, so, man. They are, that is the real deal, the real deal. There's some good barbecue around. I'm not going to diss on okay, anybody. You're a barbecue. Texas guy. You're, you're a Texas guy. Are you saying that means brisket? That means beef. Okay. It's beef. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we have people up, in Washington, they're holding their own versus down down in Texas. These guys are J and J are okay. yeah J and J are for I'm sure. Th- I'm uh, I'm critical. I'm to think of that. Okay. Yeah. What's the name of that? It's well, we're we're not staying very true to Washington today, are we? But there's a a barbecue place in I think it's Austin. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, there's so oh, there's so many. Well, and they just started uh, their own line of of barbecue. Uh, um, I want to say Franklin is the name of yeah, it. It's like an yeah. eight hour, eight hour line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can envision waiting in line eight hours for, for yeah. food. Yeah. Franklin's one. Uh, yeah. Not me. No. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, you okay. know, so here's the thing, like you can't go wrong with some smoked meat. You can't really make no, it. You can't. Too, it can't be too bad. But no, uh, no, you, you really have to work hard to mess it up. Yeah, but there can but also be there's there, it can, I don't know that it can be uh, it can be really good. But I don't know that anything's worth waiting in line for four hours. For. I don't know. Yeah, they're 
You're pretty crazy. All right. So the other thing I want to put you on the spot for what of your ciders, what is your personal favorite? Um, I have two. So I drink the original dry all, all the time. Um, cause it's personally made. It's really clean. And then my second favorite is, uh, this isn't a commercial. It just, it doesn't happen. It just so happens we're about to release it, but, um, okay. it's just a coincidence. I promise. Uh, new England Amber. So we, that's an effort, a, a, an effort to, to, to develop a more traditional cider using modern apples or using eating apples. So it's got, it's, it's got, um, some caramelized flavors like brown sugary and we use dates. We steep dates in it. So it gives it sort of a really, um, really rich and caramelized flavor to it. Uh, adds, adds some mouthfeel and body. It's really a new England amber, not too sweet. And when's that going to come out? Cause that um, actually sounds something like I might really like. Yeah, we just canned it. I think it's a club member only release on Friday, oh. um, this Friday. And then it's, well, so this episode will be after that. So. Yeah. Yeah. So whenever that was, so it'll be out. Um, and okay. it's, we do, we do small batch programs. So we release like once a month or so a new small batch and cans. So we only do, I think we did maybe like, 500 cases. So it's not a lot. So it'll get out there. So is it going to be on tap in the tap rooms? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it'll be on tap in the tap rooms. So it means I need to go down to one of the tap rooms and your tap rooms are open right now for takeout, correct? They're open for takeout. Um, We have where we can, we have outdoor seating. Woodenville's got some makeshift tents and heaters. um, Okay. They don't all have patios. It's also pretty cold out. So yes. Um, but they are all open for takeout. Okay. Okay. So I'll give you the final word is yeah. Leave our, leave our audience with something on the way out. Oh man. Um, <laughs> put me on the spot. I, you yeah, know, come on. <laughs> uh, you know, I just, uh, we're talking about Washington. So I got to say something yeah. about Washington. I mean, this state is freaking awesome, man. I, I'm, I, when I was, when I was in college, I visited Seattle. I was in Colorado, visited Seattle. And I remember I was what, 20 years old. I said, man, I'm going to live here. I got to live here someday. Seattle is awesome. And then, uh, I met my, my now wife when I was 29 and a few months later took her on a a, a secret surprise trip to Seattle and we mm-hmm. hung out, went down and were tourists down on the waterfront and ate at, you know, crab place and crab pot. And, um, and we sat there and we said, man, we got to live in Seattle. And then, you know, roundabout way, uh, Starbucks hired me one day and ended up bringing me out here and now we're in Seattle. And I love it. I love it. And, I guess if I need to leave a final word, this is hard right now, man. Things are, things are, no, I mean, the world, I don't mean to laugh at you. No, no, no. The world, the world is hard. This okay. is hard. Seattle's going through some times, dude. This is crazy. I mean, none of us have ever seen this, but, um, the city's too great to give up on. Like we gotta, we, I want, I want to see, I think I'm seeing it, but I want to see everybody, care about making this work you know we all need to we gotta we gotta we gotta start putting our money where our mouth is and get out in the streets shop at local stores shop at local restaurants man do your takeout 
um, fix the broken window. We like, we got to work together to make this place great. I can't, I wanted to live in this place because it's great. And it's sad seeing what's been happening through the pandemic, but we gotta, we gotta make this great, man. So, so support your local restaurants, go clean up what you see dirty. You know, everybody needs to start being citizens and let's do it together. Well, I think that's an excellent way to end this episode. Thank you so much for being on. It was a lot of fun. And I wish you guys nothing but the most success you can possibly have. Thank you. This is awesome. It's fun. Thanks. All right. Okay. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.